just for in Jesus' name. So this morning I'm going to talk about the three touches of Jesus. When I was a young Christian, just a few years ago, um, I used to have a briefcase that I would take to work. It was really a, just a very fancy lunchbox. There was nothing else in it apart from my Vegemite sandwich that my wife faithfully made every day. And I'd probably throw it in, the, in every day. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, I'm safe. She's not in today. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Um, but somewhere on the way, I thought, oh, there's a sticker. Went to the bookshop. There's a sticker. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. And I stuck that on my briefcase. I wish to carry that proudly around on the train from Armadale into the city and get beaten up and, you know, take it in the office and stuff. Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. I've thought about that because it's true, but I don't have a great message to send to heathens. Uh, they're often quite judgmental and they hold Christians very high, so that's sort of like what we're interfacing with. But, you know, in hindsight, I don't know if that was the best message to be sending to those who know nothing about God. It is true, but life is a little bit more complex than that, isn't it? Isn't that the truth? Um, there was a very famous and successful Christian musician who's a bit older now. His name was Ken Medeman. He was born blind, never saw. But his parents were determined to treat him as if he was a normal child from that very first day. So they taught him to play games. They taught him to ride a bike. They taught him to water ski. You know, they had that wonderful... Uh, attitude that we're not going to let our man, our little boy, have a limited life because of his disability. And they were so affirming his worth as a person. So growing up, all he knew was love and acceptance and forgiveness. So he developed an inner confidence and wholeness that almost made him forget that he had a disability. Now he's going to campus, he's going to college, and one day he accidentally bumps into another blind student who said, hey, watch it. Don't you know that I'm blind? And uh, Ken Medema, instead of mentioning his own handicap, says, sorry, I didn't see you. It's great, isn't it? But as Christians, we too bump into tough situations in which our weaknesses are revealed. And unlike Ken, however, we often react very immaturely, or at least imperfectly, and we use our weakness as an excuse. After all, I'm not perfect, we argue. Next slide, thank you, guys. So in Mark chapter 8, there's this fascinating story. As Jesus and his disciples were going to Bethesda, some people brought a blind man to him. That's wonderful that there are people out there that are going to bring blind people to Jesus. You know, we've got a film coming up. The show. It's a wonderful opportunity to bring someone who's spiritually blind, yes, into a creative conversation. That's a good thing to do. So they brought the blind man. Blindness is the physical equivalent of the spiritual problem. You know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Once I was blind, but now I see so that's the spiritual equivalence. We don't see our morality, our choices, our values, etc. until Christ comes into our life. So some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch the man. 
That's the prayer part, isn't it? That's what Gary does. That's what we do in prayer and intercession. Dear Lord, please, please open their eyes. Um, and Jesus took him by the hand and led him out of the village where he spit into the man's eyes. I love that. Better spit. I'm going to pray for everybody today. I reckon I could make about the sixth row. Some of you look a little bit nervous like I could actually would do that. You must know me really well. <laughs> Spit into his eyes. It's fascinating because even if you just look at the, the flow out of Jesus' life, whether it's the tears of intercession where he learned obedience, or it's in the garden of Gethsemane and, as it were, drops of blood came out of him. We were saying, Lord, if there's any other way, Lord, let me not go to the cross, but if not, I'm going to go to the cross. Or if you look, the blood that flowed from his side, the flu- you know, the, the, what flowed out of Jesus' life heals all of us, as Rain was saying today in so many ways, his blood. It's bad in his eyes. Anyway, stop. Stop preaching, Mike. Get on to teaching. So he spat in his eyes. He placed his hands on the blind man and asked him if he could see anything. And the man looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. I'm really excited about this verse. You know what? Here's here's the thing. Not everything I pray for changes straight away. Yeah, just me. I find sometimes nothing happens, at least with Jesus. And he's the son of God. He has all power, all authority, and he prayed and he didn't get the full answer straight away. You know what? Gives me hope. And also tells me, pray again. Gives me hope and let's pray again. So he says, yeah, I I see people, but they are like trees walking around. And once again, Jesus placed hands on the man's eyes and this time the man stared. His eyes were healed and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus said to him, you may return home now, but just don't go into the village. So I want to talk to you about the first touch of Jesus. Next slide, thank you. The first touch is Jesus leads the blind man out from the crowd to a private place. Do you understand that is an absolute first step in our Christian walk and development? It's saying yes to Jesus. He reaches out his hand towards all of us, doesn't he? And he says, come with me. Come. Come with me. And you can say, I don't know where you're going. I don't know where I'm going. It's that blind walk of faith that, God, I'm going to trust you that you will lead me and you're going to lead me to good places. But that's where it begins. There's no Christianity without putting your hand in the hands of the man from Galilee and letting him lead you even when you cannot see necessarily where you are going. Uh, most of us, if we look back, we would, dis- we would testify we had no idea where God was going to lead us. But he has been a good and a faithful guide. So that's the first touch. It's that simple, blind obedience to God's leading. Friends, bow your heads. and We're going to pray, even now. Holy Spirit, you're wanting to lead every one of us. Not only the person next to me, person behind me, Lord, you're wanting to lead me. And if I will sit and listen to you, I will feel your tug upon my life that you want me to do this, that this is the direction, 
this is the way that you would have me to go. Lord, I pray that you give me the confidence to trust you, that you will lead me, Lord, even through, uh, Lord, by the still waters, the green grass, the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, banqueting tables, Lord, you are a good and faithful God. Everybody said? Amen. So the second stage, the second touch, next slide, thank you, is that Jesus prays for the uh, man and he begins to see. And he says, I, I, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Uh, now, people as trees. Now, maybe people bark you up the wrong way. Drop their leaves all over your lawn. Give you splinters when you touch them. Block out the sun. Uh, they're knotted, gnarled, rub you against the grain, <laughs> people. And so the next phase that Jesus brings us to, he begins to change the way that we see people. Friends, I'll tell you something really blunt right now. The way you see people is an absolute reflection of how you see yourself. People are a mirror to who you are. And if you're surrounded by people that are whinging, complaining, selfish, you can fill in the list yourself. Well, I can probably tell you that you're whinging, complaining and selfish. If you're surrounded by wonderful, loving people who are caring and generous, I reckon that's probably a reflection of who you are. People are ultimately a reflection of who we are. Um, there was a time when the lady was uh, really concerned that her washing machine was uh, not working. She'd gone out and put this new front-loaded thing and, you know, the, watch the thing go, vroom, 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 push the side, take the clothes out, and they're dirty. Puts it in again, washes them, goes, vroom, 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 comes out dirty. Puts it in again, comes out, same stuff, three times, still dirty. So then she goes back to the uh, manufacturer and says, I want my washing machine fixed and stuff, and it's not fixed. And the guy looks at it and says, no, the clothes are fine. But if you clean your glasses, you'll be able to be in a far better place. Some of us need to ask God, can you lay hands upon me, please, Jesus? Touch me to change the way I see people. Otherwise, you're going to continue to live below what God has destined us to do. The third touch. Jesus prays for the blind man the third time and he says, I now see people clearly. And so uh, a, a number of things happen that really do uh, help us to see people the way God sees people. Do you know the way that Mike sees people? He's sometimes very uncharitable, very cynical, very sour. You know the way I see people? It can be actually not particularly good at all. But God sees us different. God sees us those diamonds, doesn't he? Uh, last few weeks have been particularly hard on us as a church and myself personally. Really tough. And so I want to be clear. If you don't know that you should read your Bible every day, then would you forgive me? Because I want to stress, you need to read your Bible every day. If you don't pray regularly, 
and you don't know you should pray regularly, then would you forgive me for not preaching in a way that's compelling enough for you to know it's the very oxygen of your spirituality. Without prayer, you will die spiritually. If you're not connected in real fellowship, I don't mean coming to a service. Coming to a service is not what Jesus died for. He came to assemble you with others, to connect you with others. People with names, people that you can cry with, laugh with, have joy with, celebrate with. If you're not connected in real fellowship, then I feel I've failed you as a minister. Would you forgive me? If you haven't heard from me that you should love God with all of your heart, mind, soul and strength, if that's not something key to your understanding, then please forgive me because that's the truth. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the life. If I've not told you that sin not only hurts you, but hurts all the people around you, if I have not reinforced that sin will cost you more than what you ever want, if you believe that sin is something you can have on the side, a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of sin, then I feel I have failed you. If I have not told you there's a heaven to be lost and a hell to be gained, then I have not been clear with my presentation of what I believe to be the truth. The truth. But Jesus did touch the man a third time. And in that, he began to see people clearly. I want to just leave you four thoughts about the way that God sees us rather than the way that Mike sees us. God sees people prophetically. We don't see the end yet. We see them here when effectively God sees the finish line, doesn't he? Because he is the Alpha, he's the Omega. He was, he is, he is to come. My past is in God's now, but so is my future in God's now. So he sees the finished product. And, you know, so the person who comes into the life of the kingdom of God who's got, you know, long hair, the the tats, you know, um, well, that's actually almost standard culture these days. But anyway, you know, they come in for all that song. That is not where they are meant to stop. God takes them on a journey of transformation. Say transformation. Transformation. God sees the end. We get stuck in the past. They did that. They're doing that. Where God says, I see them in their completed future. To begin to see people prophetically. C.S. Lewis, one of my uh, great uh, fans in terms of uh, one of my favorites for writing, Christian writing, apologetics. He says that if we were to see the worst person in our church today. Don't look around. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And we will see them after Jesus comes back when in that twinkling of an eye we are transformed, we'd all be tempted to fall at their feet and worship because of the glory of God 
upon the worst of us. That's the end point. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? You know, if we could see what God's going to do at the end, we'd be a little bit less stressed over the now. So we see people prophetically. We also see people positionally. Now, I'm not wanting to get political now, but let's say we had the Prime Minister of Australia come visit our church 25 years ago. Ah, Bob Hawke. <laughs> I actually didn't mind Bob. At least he was interesting. <laughs> but, you know, his politics are not really that compatible with where I sit on the political spectrum. Here, what I'm saying. So you'd have the Prime Minister of Australia coming to our church. We may think the guy's a bit of a joke, he's an adulterer, he is an alcoholic, yada, yada, yada. He's not a nice person. You know, he's a backslidden kid from a, uh, an Anglican pastor's family. Uh, not a nice man. But you know what? Because he's the Prime Minister of Australia, we would give him respect and honour because of his position. So if a believer is a child of God, they're positioned, they're seated with Christ in heavenly places. So really important that we see people also positionally. We can pull people down, yes. Mm. Can you say amen? Or are you going to say oh me? We can pull people down. Some of us have a habit of pulling people down. Or we can actually push people up. Maybe beyond where they are right now, but we're seeing them positionally, which taps into the next thought. To see people progressively, that God takes us on the journey. And one of the things I've learned, this comes out of one of the core ideas of Team Challenge, uh, which I've been associated with for over a quarter of a century. When we see the person really overtaken by serious sin, the alcoholic, the drug addict, you know, whatever it might be, the biker, whatever it might be. Generally, our judgmentalism is so, well, they must be a very bad person because of look where they're at. When sometimes what's actually occurring is actually different. The devil is a strategist and he'll try and take out those who have a calling upon their life to really hurt his kingdom. He'll try and kill Moses before Moses grows up. He'll try and take out Jesus before he ever gets to the cross. He'll try and take out these people. He tried to take Mike Keating out when he was 14 years of age and 15 and 16. <laughs> he didn't like me, really didn't like me. So sometimes we get it the wrong way. When we see people caught up in serious sin, we go, oh, they're horrible, horrible, you know. You know. And yet, effectively... There are people that had a deep call upon their life, predestined to do amazing things, and the devil just got in when they were weak and when they were a baby and when they were tired. If you can get that, it helps you with bringing people, bringing the blind into Jesus' presence. And to see people patient, patiently, who would love instant perfection? Oh, liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> who would like instant perfection? I have an older call for that right now. <laughs> Instant perfection. Who'd like a perfect wife? Who'd like a perfect husband? <laughs> My wife almost has. Almost. To see people patiently. You know, I really hope you can hear this. Ephesians 5. Jesus is actually talking about marriage. 
and you know the role of the husband and the role of the wife and how they're to, to come together and that the role of the husband is to be like Jesus who laid down his life, gave up his life. I mean, he was crucified for the church. That's, that's massive. That's a biggie. Do I really want to die for my wife? She might be taking notes. And that he patiently washes her with the word. That, that's not one bath. That's not getting out the pressure cleaner. <laughs> that would be fun. It's not getting out of the pressure cleaner. It's that daily, come on, here's some water, here's some soap. Let me clean you because he's preparing a bride that will be, in the name of Jesus, on the authority of God's word, spotless, without wrinkle. If you're whinging about the fiancé now, you don't love the church the way that Jesus loves the church. If you're complaining about the fact that their fiancé's got pimples and blackheads and da-da-da-da-da, you don't get the love that God has, that the Son has, for the church. Because he's dying, giving up his life for the church. And he's patient. Aren't you glad he's patient with you? Come on. Aren't you glad he's been patient with you? Because he's been very patient with me. 1 John 3 puts it this way. I love this text. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. One version says, lavished on us. Like, you know, it's a double dop of whipped cream splashed over the top. That we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when Jesus is revealed, we shall be like him. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And we know that he is manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. That's really deep, isn't it? Isn't that really deep? You know, the, the good person does good. <laughs> and no one, let no one deceive you. He is righteous, will do righteous. But who sins, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever is born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. Now, some of you are going to get really excited now. I like the bag, choose to reuse. I choose to reuse. I think God says that all the time. Yeah. I have. Everybody's really interested now. <laughs> David Brown's sitting up really straight. I have chocolate. Chocolate. 
Anna Maria, I believe this is a vegetable. Cocoa is a vegetable, isn't it? Yeah, it's a vegetable. Yes, yes. And this one actually has fruit in it and nuts. So how good is that? It must be the best chocolate eventually. So let me just do something else though. Let me go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Actually, Pastor Karen, it's funny you should say, they've just discovered, no, these archaeologists have been around Mesopotamia in between the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers and they've just discovered the very first computer ever made. And it backdates to the time of Adam and Eve. Adam, Adam and evil. No, Adam and Eve. And you're right, it was an apple. But... Yep, but it's worse than that. It had very, very poor memory. It only had one bite and the whole thing crashed. (laughs) He just got there. Thank you, Monica. See, a good joke is one that laughs. Do you know that whiteboards are remarkable? (laughs) Stop worrying. So this is the knowledge. This is now the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, isn't it? So I can go through this and I can find out that being gay is really okay, can't I? I'll find that there, won't I? I can go wrong. I can go. In fact, I can confirm whatever I want from this phone. Am I telling you the truth? You can justify this. You can justify that. It's all here. So... This is the font of all knowledge. I don't need to ask the pastor anymore. I just have to Google it. And I'm told that you can swipe right and swipe left, left on Tinder. I need to get this call. Kerry, what do you want, mate? God speaking. <laughs> okay. I am now going to Google danger of eating Chocolate. Oh, no, 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 no. So, so here we go. Eating chocolate. Eating chocolate will increase your rate of heart disease. I believe that. Eating chocolate will increase your rate of diabetes. I believe that. Eating chocolate will into this is dys, dyslipidemia. I don't want dyslipidemia, dyslipidemia but I'm, I believe it. Oh, you can you know death by chocolate? You can actually die eating chocolate. True. Apparently there's a poison in chocolate well, actually, kill your dogs. You know that chocolate will kill your dogs. No, okay. I'm just going to wash this down. Sorry. <laughs> I believe eating chocolate's really bad for you. But apparently, if I eat 5.7 kilograms of dark chocolate at my current slim 80 kilos, I know. Go me. It's amazing what you can do with diuretics and 
No, bad joke. If I drink 5.8, if I eat 5.7 kilograms of dark chocolate, I will kill myself. That's what it says. Actually, it says chocolate's bad for you, particularly if it's eaten in large amounts. Increases your calorie intake. Oh, that's really bad. I believe it. No, I don't, do I? I don't believe it. I don't believe it. My behaviour shows you what I believe. Not what I say. Not what my mind agrees with. But what my behaviour does. Next slide, thank you. So a little bit of Greek here. I know a little Greek. Used to run the fish and chips. (laughs) It's an oldie, but I'm an old preacher. Yeah, all the old people are laughing, don't you? All the new ones have never heard that. Young people, preachers used to say, I know a little Greek who runs the fish and chip shop and I know a little Hebrew who runs the tailoring shop. And that was funny back when we were your age. Pistis. Got to be careful how you say that. But it's the one time you say piss in church and say, okay, it's pistis. So the word for believe is this Greek word here. Pistis, okay? So I believe, the Greek word is pistis. Now the word actually means also faithful. There's no other word for faithful or faithfulness or trust or trustworthy in the Bible than the same word pistis. But that's not the way the world thinks. I believe is something, oh, you know, it's like I believe in unicorns and rainbows and I believe if you believe in yourself and if you believe, you believe, you believe. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says believing is the same as trusting, clinging to, adhering to, being so cohered with. You cannot be a biblical Christian and say, I believe Jesus is Lord without saying I am faithful to keep him as Lord. They are exactly equivalent ideas in the Greek language. You cannot believe and have biblical belief without being connected, faithful, aligned, adhered to. Faithfulness, doing it. You know, when I'm asking my wife to trust me that I will do the right thing by her and keep covenant, I'm wanting to do more than just keep an idea in her head. I'm wanting to, what I'm also doing is saying my behavior to actually demonstrate that, to reinforce that, is going to be there as well. So I think by God's grace, we could say, God, touch me, touch my eyes. You know, we have these physical eyes, but the bottom line is we actually need these inside eyes to open up. We need insight so that we can have hindsight, that we can have foresight, that we can see more clearly the truth of the hymn writer, once I was blind, but now I see. May God give us the ability to know the strength that it's not good enough to say, I believe that eating chocolate's bad but we actually have to not eat chocolate. On Monday, the 9th of August, 1993, a 32-year-old woman 
Sophia Madras White burst into the hospital nursery at the USC Medical Center in Los Angeles, yielding a 38 caliber handgun. She had come gunning for Elizabeth Statton, a nurse who she believed had uh, been in an affair with her husband. And uh, she was shooting. A number of people were shot by her. Uh, one man was shot in the wrist. Another man was shot. Uh, none of them were fatal. But uh, there was a, um, a male nurse by the name of Joan... Sorry, another nurse by the name of Joan Black, who when she saw this lady charging around with a gun, bravely walked up to her and said, you're in pain, you're hurting, and simply hugged her. And the lady started to soften in that hug, dropped the gun, and was let out quietly. She was disarmed by a hug. The, my, my conviction is that the gospel is Jesus arms wide open, inviting us all into his embrace of love. But we also have to always understand why is he on the cross? He's on the cross because of sin. He's on the cross because of rebellion. He's on the cross because we have gone our own way. And he loved us so much he was prepared to pay the cost. I was talking to a number of people who had uh, chosen to go into a same-sex marriage for a while and they were quite theologically alert to some of the issues and, you know, God is love, so, you know, it's all about love and, you know, God will find a way and his blood covers us for all our sins and we were sort of, you know, tapping that conversation backwards and forwards and I said, the only problem with that position is why did Jesus die? Why the cross? Why the cross? Because if there had been no other sin in the world, he would have had to still go to the cross for that sin. That's not to say it's the only sin. There's lying, there's cheating, there's dealing, there's greed, there's a whole range of other sins. But our sin crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to know something about the love of God? Look at the cross. It demonstrates how great was God's love that he would come and die for us. Do you want to know how God feels about sin, though? Look at the cross. That's how much he hates sin. God was prepared to take off his glory and come in skin and be pinned to cruel wood, to be shamed, to be spat upon, to be humiliated, for the very creation to turn its back upon three hours, for the earth to rumble, the horror, the shame of that particular cosmic moment. I, I pray you get a revelation of just how bad that zone was because that's what my sin did to Jesus. And that should then also let me get to the other side of the cross, which is, he loved me enough to do that. So, Father, we do pray that you would open up our eyes. Lord, we would see people prophetically. Lord, we'd see people positionally. We'd see people, Lord, progressively. We're all on the journey. And, Lord, we'd see people patiently. Lord, we want to release, Lord, 
people into your hands. Lord, we want their eyes to open, but Lord, we've got to leave it in your hands. In Jesus' name, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Okay, was I twitchy today? Was that was okay? Too much chocolate? Maybe chocolate's bad for you. I was reading a book somewhere. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let's have our, our worship team up. I love our worship team. <laughs> our worship team. Someone, need to, someone will need to rescue me. There you go, Monica. Thank you. I've never seen this church so alert. I should preach on chocolate more often. <laughs> uh, why don't you just stand? And uh, I just want to put a question to you before we uh, just close with the song. You know, we, we, we are grateful that you came to today and that you've been uh, patient enough to listen to me. But we'd really like to just ask you, you know, have you made your peace with God yourself? You know, have you done that individual first step of putting things right? The first touch of Jesus is to say, Jesus, I will follow you even though I can't see where you're taking. That's the first step, to trust Jesus with that step. And would you just bow your heads right now and everybody close. Just want a private moment, nobody looking around. If that's where you are today and you've not really, or maybe you said yes once and you've backed away and you've chosen to go a different way for a while, but right now, God's spoken to your heart and you're actually saying, no, I do want to follow Jesus. Yeah, I can't see yet where I am. I'm lost and I'm confused, but I'd like to follow the leading of Jesus because he'll lead you all the way to life and to eternal life he'll lead you to the other side of death to a place called heaven if you would like me to pray with you today it would be my pleasure and my joy to do that I'm not going to embarrass you I'm not going to ask you to come out the front or anything like that I just want to pray with you so if there's someone here today say pastor would you pray for me that I might receive the gift of eternal life would you do something really brave very courageous. Just where you are, slip your hand up. Put it up right now. God bless you. See that hand. Thank you. Someone else maybe want to be close. God bless you. I see that hand. A couple, couple of people responded. God bless you. Just just looking over. I just want to give you a moment. I don't want to rush it, you know. The most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Seriously. Is there someone else here, Pastor? Pray for me. We join with these two people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay, let's just pray together. Can we as the family of God? Dear Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry that I've hurt you, that I've hurt others, and I've hurt myself. I invite you to come in your miracle power into my life. Change me from the inside. Wash me clean. I have a brand new start today as your child, born afresh into your kingdom. And I thank you for that 
in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. So if you've meant that and you've prayed that for the first time today, I want to tell you, I'm happy. The church is happy. Heaven's happy. The angel's happy. It's the best day of your life. Amen. Fantastic. So we love you. Please don't leave without talking to me or one of our other leaders. And uh, we'd love to just give you a Bible and give you some uh, pointers on your first steps towards exploring your faith of Jesus. So, fuck God. Fuck God, it's all right. We do have a prayer ministry at the front. So if you'd like to come out at the end, we'd love to lay hands on you and see God's miracle. But thank you for coming. God bless.